Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, Anti-Drug Social Club should be back on a normal routine, so it should be on every two weeks. If it's not, feel free to email me and yell at me because this is insane at this point. Um, we did have a super busy season that we went into. We were preparing for the Rock the Farm Music Festival, which as we briefly talked about in the last season, um, we spoke about the fact that this is a major fundraiser for our nonprofit CFC Loud and Clear Foundation, which is a relapse prevention program for Monmouth and Ocean County. Um, it offers multiple resources for people that were in the grips of addiction and are now in recovery and they're trying to gain back everything that they lost um, and then some really just to rebuild their lives. Um, so we have a bunch of different resources for them. We do retreats. We do uh, sober socials and volunteer opportunities and educational opportunities and a lot of what we run on is the money that comes in from Rock the Farm Music Festival. So this year we were supposed to have it on September 23rd. Unfortunately, we had the biggest brainstorm um, that weekend and we had to make the decision to postpone the festival until June's of this upcoming year, 2024. Um, it was projected to do better than previous years and it was such a letdown like when you're climbing that mountain and then something like that happens and you don't get to like reap in like that feeling of getting to the victory at the end it's kind of sad so our life kind of got put on pause a little bit we're recollecting um we had a fundraiser recently for um a night with spirit and I believe we raised over $2,000 um, at that event, which was amazing. The psychic medium that was there, her name is Catherine McCall. Um, and she just, she was reading dogs. She was reading people. Her little cues and clues were insane. Um, and, you know, thank you for everybody that did show up that night and supported. Did the raffle baskets, the 50-50. Every single dollar counts right now. We're trying to um, kind of pick up where we lost with this festival um we also do have i just want to put this out there we have our thanksgiving give back the meals of love for our collection of our food pantry items that we are collecting for the 10 to 15 families in month in ocean county um so we're able to collect this food get them a good thanksgiving basket together and then they're able to assemble their own meals so that gift back will be in the bio or the information under bar in any of these platforms that you're using um, and then we also have one coming up in December, which is amazing. Last year we worked with Ocean Harbor House. I believe we're working with them again. So Ocean Harbor House works with at-risk youth. Um, so these are minors. These are kids that are aged under 17 years old, whether they're runaways, foster care system, um, they're in abusive homes. This is a place for them to kind of get their step up into the world. So we collect all the items that these kids can need for a year. We do it by gender and size. We separate them into these beautiful red duffels it's called the love duffel and it also is called duffels of love it kind of interchanges the actual bag itself is the love duffel um so the duffels of love drive as well will be found in the link for the underbar please support um it's more than just our community we're out there trying to reach these other communities and um every single ounce of any type of donation support share it means so much um so with that i want to thank you guys and welcome you back um to the anti-drug social club podcast
guys, so I'm your host, Kim Sacconi. Today we have a very special guest with us, Jessica Gunzi. Um, Jess has her own experiences with addiction, the criminal justice system, drug court, uh, relapse, um, and her own spiritual relationship with her higher power. I am so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Kim. I'm really happy to be here. This is awesome, and I love being able to advocate not only for myself, but for like-minded individuals. How is your October going so far, Miss Joss? Well, to start off with the bang, October 2nd is my birthday, so it was really special to be able to celebrate it just being surrounded by so much support and so much love, but also, I think more importantly, being like so clear-minded and kind of having goals for myself and really being able to enjoy a birthday through and through, I think made it even more special. I love that. Do you want to tell them kind of about, uh, oh, no, we could get into that later. Okay. We're, we have deeper dive questions, okay. so you don't have to go into that, but Jess did step into new roles within um, her sober living and the program itself, so um, you know we'll go over that in a little. Um, so I want to kind of give our listeners and viewers a little background of the building blocks of who you are, family and home life, style environment you grew up in, um, and what you think maybe major contributors were leading up to when you realized you were physically dependent on substances. Okay, well those are all like such great questions because I feel like if you don't really know what got you started on that path or you don't identify um, right away, then it's kind of hard to go about your recovery journey. So I know and I definitely identify that a lot of my traumas and a lot of what happened to me growing up, especially now with doing inner child work and different um, you know, meetings that CFC offers, I've learned so much about myself. I know that I definitely did not have your typical um, childhood, that there was definite dysfunction in my family. I also know, and I'm so proud to say today that my parents, my mother, my father, they did the best they could with what they knew and what they had and what yeah. they were given. Mm -hmm. I used to carry around a lot of hate, a lot of pain, a lot of resentment. Um, I mean, there's even still times now being 36, like I still kind of look for that motherly approval. But again, my mother grew up as a single child. She lost her father at a very, very young age. That traumatic event really, um, I think, had a lasting effect on her. My mother struggled with alcoholism very, very bad. So there wasn't really parenting on that side. My father also was in a very, very physically abusive household. There was no show of affection, no I love yous, no consoling compassion because of that. In your adulthood you, you do suffer greatly especially if you're not given this beautiful gift of a program and meetings and, and things yeah. to kind of pull mm -hmm. that out of you I was kind of always able to express myself which is something I love so much about my childhood I was always given this beautiful freedom of expression however I was always allowed to go wherever I wanted do wherever I wanted there was no rules no regulations mm -hmm. absolutely no structure I had to grow up very, very, very fast. There was things that um, were going on in my house that like, I, I almost feel as though like I had to like either assume a motherly role or just 
hit dodge and get out of the house because I didn't want to see it, be around it. I definitely turned to drugs at a very young age. My first experience with, um, oh my God, with alcohol, I remember sneaking into my father's garage and finding like whiskey bottles. Um, I was probably under 10, but I didn't really identify as an addict until I was 15 years old. I tried heroin for the first time. And in that moment, it was so scary because all of the pain and the torments and those feelings of being less than, I, I can't describe it, it all went away. Like everything yeah. went away and nothing mattered in my life other than making sure I felt that way again. And it literally was the first time I knew I was in trouble. And honestly, I'm now 36 years old and my life has just, I mean, multiple downward spirals. It is, it is the truth, guys. I'm here to confirm. Um, it does get worse every time. Mm -hmm. uh, like you stated, Kim, multiple relapses. I mean, life, life is hard, but it's also a lot about perspective. And today I sit before you, you know, someone who is not a first-time winner, someone who's been through multiple mm -hmm. programs, short-term, long-term, therapeutic, um, and I'm able to finally, I feel like, find my home in CFC and find a place where I'm able to really express myself, be true to myself, and start diving really deep and working on like some of those really inner things, and um, I really feel at home here. And yeah, I mean, life is, life is good now. Life is definitely good now. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> no, I, you know what? I actually, it's funny. Um, when people like my mom ask, like, what does like an opiate feel like, you know? And it's not, I, I know it's like a genuine curiosity, right? So, um, I try to answer it in the best way for someone to understand. And the only thing I can compare it to is like being in a sensory deprivation tank. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, the worst way to do it, uh, quickest way to possibly wind up in a casket to try it. Um, but, like, that's just really that feeling of getting rid of all these feelings, especially when you're so young and there's no coping skill. It's like you found the easiest solution, you know? Exactly. Because we're all searching as humans for dopamine, for serotonin. And when we find it in drugs, we're finding it the easiest, quickest way that our body can produce these like natural chemicals that we need um for survival really so um you know now it's about finding those in like other things and it's amazing that you could get it from so many things that are not drugs you know and enough too for me cfc was a major part of me like finding like joy again um and just getting natural like dopamine highs you know absolutely okay so do you want to talk a little bit about your bottom if you're comfortable <clears throat> um yeah my bottom was you know you hear so many war stories Kim and I can sit here before you and say I identify with pretty much all of what others have shared you know um I, I depleted my bank account um I had a brand new car that I totaled in less than two months of owning I wasn't prevalent in my family at all as the functional as dysfunctional as it may be i chose to not be prevalent i chose to back away i chose to isolate i had the beautiful gift of having a beautiful daughter and there was one point where i didn't care about my life 
is when I realized I didn't care. It's not that I didn't care about hers, it's that mm -hmm. my priority was not her. My priority was the drugs. Mm -hmm. If that's not a bottom, like I don't know, truly, especially being a parent, I don't know what is. Um, it definitely gets deeper than that though. Like your nevers become always, truthfully, there's really nothing I wouldn't do to get my next fix. I didn't care who I had to hurt, who I had to steal from, who I had to torment. Um, I was manipulative. I was a, a, a shell of a human. Uh, I did have, I had no respect for the legal system whatsoever. I remember my last run, I caught, I think it was 13 new charges in three different counties, and this was all in a little over a month. I was on a mission. I was literally on a mission. I also uh, decided it would be best because my daughter has not seen me at anything but my best to uh, give her to my parents. And that, as a parent, is one of the hardest decisions because I didn't realize how much my daughter was like this crutch for me or this comfort for me because I've experienced a lot of grief and a lot of loss in my life and it's so crazy and I can't wait to tell you know this beautiful little girl that like she saved my life when she was three and like little did she know that you know mm -hmm. uh, but that being said like the bottoms get bottomier they get worse they get muddy um, I sold my soul and I think I just want to mention this because it's this is what scared me the most. <clears throat> the last run that I was on, I remember, because I'm like such a psychology like nerd, like I love learning and I love I <laughs> diving deep into the brain and nature versus nurture, like Dan Reagan was talking about last night. That is right up my alley. I, I literally have never had a psychotic break before, and I was hallucinating. I saw people that were not there, had full-on conversations. I've just wanted to like share with the world that I'm such a sound and able-minded person and to lose that mm -hmm. and to honestly question your sanity is like really scary. Mm -hmm. It's really scary. So I think it was the combination of my, my mental state of mind mm -hmm. combined with not making my daughter a top priority amongst all the typical things you hear, like you know, selling your ass, um, stealing, robbing, uh, like I would gallivant around Newark, like whatever. I'm talking about like the more serious things that like la are lasting on your heart. Mm -hmm. I can get over a lot of the shitty things I. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. I've been so good so far. Normally I have such a trucker mouth, a trucker mouth, guys. Okay. Overall, I curse less on this just because I'm like, who's listening? But, you know, you're good. No, no. Feel free. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I just wanted to make sure, like, people understand that it's not it's not just the physical things we put ourselves through. Like, that's, I feel like, what people go to every time. Oh, well, I stole. I got arrested. No, like, I actually, like, I sold my soul. I lost. I broke my own heart. And I was mentally insane. So I, I just need to go on. So guys, since I've been gone too from the podcast, I have been going on these psychology benders on Google. So good. I am just discovering everything about myself right now. I am officially a person that was re-diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. I'm currently uh, finally taking medicine. I'm, I'm going to a DBT therapist. Um, and I also... Um, 
I just deep dive at night, and I always talk to Jess about this. Uh, me and Jess are very good friends. This whole summer, while I wasn't recording this podcast, we were paddleboarding a bunch <laughs> and, and just gallivanting, and it was so fun. We were just like, it's so cool to have that, you know, comfort with someone and be able to explore life together. Um, that's my recent discovery because I have to share it with you guys. I had saw this TikTok. I always love these TikToks, guys. I always got to bring them up. But I saw this TikTok. This girl was saying how her therapist told her in January, and mind you, we're in October. Her therapist told her in January to stop using the words sad and mad every time that she feels something because nine times out of ten, you're not sad, you're not mad. There's a million other emotions. Figure out which one you're feeling and then go from there. So um, her and her girlfriend, they sat together and they discovered that she felt ashamed and initially when the word ashamed was said she turned her lip up she's freaking uncomfortable with it and she's like i'm not ashamed i'm not ashamed and she goes you know what just for shits and gigs uh google the word like tell me what the definition is they give her the definition and she goes oh my god i'm ashamed (laughs) i'm ashamed and she goes because i felt like i was getting treated like a fool you know And, and she goes so now no longer can i say i'm sad about the situation I can't react as a sad person. I now have to react as someone that feels, you're treating me like a fool. I'm going to respond like in that manner, you know? Absolutely. So, um, so I deep dove on this current reoccurring emotion for me. It's swindled. Okay. <laughs> Try to look up on Reddit the solution for feeling <laughs> swindled. It is the most depressing thread you will ever read. So um, I decided since there's really not a solution, it sounds really doom and gloom. Um, I just went into a rabbit hole and figured out how to avoid ever feeling swindled again. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So then at the end, what I came to, which is crazy, so after being swindled, it immediately switches over to um, emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. So usually emotional abusers are going to do this. So then I looked up characteristic traits that an emotional abuser looks for, and then I went and and one of them, the only one that hit for me, was um, overly tolerant. And I have so much tolerance because I have so much life experience, okay? Mm-hmm. So then I'm breaking down tolerance. Then I go to Wikipedia. Wikipedia's got so many facts. I'm freaking <laughs> tolerance, guys. So then it goes into boundaries, right? Because as my therapist says in every session, Kim, like, you just need boundaries. And I'm like, over here, like, what do you mean? <laughs> I can't just save the world every day. So you need to stop being Captain Save a blank, you know? And I'm like, whatever. So... Um, it's very funny because basically when I originally sat with my therapist, she asked me how I feel when things don't work out and and like that feeling, I didn't know it was the word swindled yet. So I go right for the basic adoptive kid term, which is abandoned. Mm -hmm. So the last note that it says is lack of boundaries that cause, um, cruelty and brutality are not respect. It's abdication. Okay. Deep. Deep. AF. Deep AF. Deep. So then I pull up synonyms of the word abdication because no one knows what that means. <laughs> okay, so abdication is lacking responsibility or duty, I'm pretty sure. And this is all not looking at my notes, guys, so I memorize my problems at this point. So one of the synonyms was abandoned. So I realized that when I sat through the domestic violence, when I allowed people to swindle me, I'm not respecting myself. I am freaking abandoning myself. So that's the reason why I'm able to use the word that I feel abandoned, but it's because I abandon me. So just like a little freaking deep dive, guys. I mean, it's late night right now, so me and Jess are like, the moon's getting to us. 
Um, so yeah, just <laughs> to completely go off topic there. <laughs> um, so as of right now, you're on drug court, right? Yes. Second um, term, everyone. Second term drug court. Just thrilled. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. <laughs> just happy. You know? Happy to be a part of the system. Oh, absolutely. Um, so where are you in, uh, what is your drug court? You know, I, I, I have to, county? I have to be honest. Okay. So first of all, it's Ocean County. Um, I did transfer several times. So I started off in Hunterdon County. I transferred to Essex County and then I transferred to Ocean County. And I also want to say this, right? Um, the drug court is not a bad program. I think it's it's really more so about like where are you at in life? What what is your like how are you taking it? And, and I always say this often, but like life is all about perspective. So if I go into a situation and if I'm like, you know, oh, like, uh, can't stand these people and that, that, that well, it's going to be a miserable experience. And yeah. and not for nothing, but like that goes with like all of life, uh, daily life procedures, not mm-hmm. just drug court. Is it annoying, Kim? Absolutely. Do I like calling a random line every night and hearing her say it in English no, do and it. Espanol? Do what you do to your officer when you call in. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I love her check-in. Ready? All right. So here's my check-in, guys. So what you're supposed to do is say, hi, this is Jesse Gunson. I'm checking in. And that's it. I go, hi, it's me. It's Jess. Um, just wanted to let you know I had a really good day. <sighs> I wonder what you ate. Did you eat steak or did you have chicken? I bet you had steak. But anyway, um, I might do some art later. I found Samuel again outside my pet slug. I don't know. I'll show you some pics. Anyway, listen, I'm like, this is kind of cool, but I gotta go because I just can't anymore. Bye. <laughs> love that. But you know what? And, and, but they love that too. You know why? They love that too because they're, I, I feel like no matter what, like you can't take me out of me. Like, I have a sparkle, I, I have a right. way about me, and I don't care if I'm in a court or if I'm talking to my probation officer. Like, mm-hmm. I want a sparkle, and I want to be me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also quite refreshing on their end. I do want to say also, like, I'm doing good on drug court. I don't give them a reason to treat me negatively. I don't give them a reason mm-hmm. to throw the book at me. I think this is something that's often lost in translation. I think drug court can be extremely annoying if you're trying to Swiss hold the program, like Swiss cheese the program. I think that drug court can be really annoying if you know you're popping hot constantly and giving a lot of dirties. That's when I think it can become a problem. Is if you're if you're the problem, right? It always starts within you. Um, it is it is tough. It is a really hard adjustment, especially for those that don't have experience on such a higher level of probation, because that's technically what it is. It is a very, very high level of probation, and it is an adjustment. Um, someone like me, who who always kind of like took care of herself, followed the beat of my own drum, you know, didn't really have so many rules and so much, so so many things regulated around me. But also, in retrospect, something kind of interesting is even through all the programs I did in, like, the therapeutic community, I actually found out that I thrive under structure. Oh, everyone does. Everyone does. I I think that, like, people completely underestimate, like, the importance of structure because for me, like, my mom will always say, like, you're not a person that can be 
like that can just sit all day in their bed. Like it's an instant, like I go backwards the second I'm there. So there has to be structure to it. So even on the days that I'm in my bed, you know, I have to draw, I have to do something. I have to get up at one point. I have to do my makeup, I have to do my hair because the structure is still very important for my mental health. And I think it's so important for every human being, whether or not you have mental health, uh, substance abuse, trauma history. I think that if you weren't raised in a place of structure, you will find that if you create structure for yourself, or maybe you have structure and you don't even realize you're structured. Mm-hmm. You know, some mm-hmm. people, they have a system. You just don't realize that it's structure, what you're Absolutely. doing. Oh, I just want to put a little backstory on Jessica. So when Jessica came to us, I couldn't even talk to the girl on the phone because she was currently incarcerated. And I've never had someone that was incarcerated had so many people advocating <laughs> for her. Uh, like, no, she's amazing. Like, I know that she's currently locked up, but, like, she's so amazing, and she's fabulous, and then Mare was calling, and then, you know, so I was talking to three to four different people, and then even when you got over to this side, we were talking to, like, two or three different people. People love Jess. It doesn't matter where she is. She thrives. She shines. <laughs> she's noticed. Um, so it, it was just hilarious because I'm like, this is, like, a very funny situation because I can't – how do I set up an interview in jail? <laughs> I'm like, just got to do a house interview. And then I said, can you not put the recording part of the call just so that everybody gets to have a fair, a fair like, view of her? Let her tell her story at her own time. I didn't want them to pick up the phone and then know that you were incarcerated. You know, not that it matters, but it's an interview, and I wanted you the opportunity to tell your own story. And I'm sure there's other people that are in similar things where they have to call from a line – you know, through jail, through prison, and then they'll get judged immediately. It happens, I think, too often. I think that there definitely needs to be a preliminary measure. You know, whether it be a phone and an in-person interview, as long as you can, like, hear, you know, mm-hmm. someone speak, I think you can tell a lot from someone and mm-hmm. how they answer questions. I often do get uh, overlooked or kind of tossed to the side because the reality of my situation is my record is it's it's disgusting it's gross I'm I'm, uh, multiple felonies my even even juvenile my juvenile record is it's pretty it's lengthy and you know I'm not that person I can't stress it enough now don't get me wrong when, if you put a chemical substance in, in front of me and if I chose to ingest it or if I took it, okay, well, now you can talk to me and now please pass judgment because I am a completely different person. Mm-hmm. But when I, am, when I am at my best, when I have a clear mind, when I um, feel good about life and I'm passionate and, and I feel good about being around, you know, like my daughter and I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm her mother and, she, you know how could you judge someone like that? Mm -hmm. You know, my past doesn't define me. It certainly made me the woman who I am today. Mm -hmm. And I think that society in itself, we've gotten so far, and I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see the overdose awareness vigils. I'm happy that now we're having people from, you know, uh, Congress, even if a mayor, right? I'm happy to see that. Mm -hmm. I am. But is is it enough? I don't think so. I don't. I don't. Because the reality of the situation is we're still judged. There's still stigma. You know, you go to apply for a job and they look at you like you have two heads. And it's it's a shame because if someone were to judge me alone for my intent and my work ethic or my past experience, 
I know what I what I bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, for me, knowing you and seeing you move around a room, I know that you, like like I was saying before, you shine. You know, you're a hard worker. Um, my mom, perfect example, <laughs> Christine. Her. I love Christine. So, shout out Christine. Shout out Christine. Um, she even was just like, wow, look at her go. Like at that night with Spirit, just was collecting all the plates and stuff. Like she's like, she's just like, it's like she works here, you know? Like she's just freaking fabulous. And, um, you know, my mom always has the hardest time understanding because she meets us all here, right? So mm-hmm. she met you here and she's just like, oh my God, you know, I can never. Like she would never judge you from anything you tell her, but she's just like in shock when she hears things and people tell her and she's just like, no you know and if something like someone steps out you know and that's the hardest thing even for me you know sometimes my mom sees it weighing on me and I'm like yeah you know so and so and she's just like no you know it's the saddest thing for her because she's just like not like people we see each other shine and then in ourselves we lose that it's just you know it's so horrible that's the, the hard part about this world you know um but also, like, all the growth you get to see in everybody. And I've never met a stronger hustler than someone that was in addiction. Like, I agree. Temple. I wish that I could figure out how to make that money sober. Temple. Like, it just doesn't... I, I hustle. It just doesn't uh, turn up. <laughs> Over there, I was, like, finding socks to sell. I don't even know. I was going nuts. <laughs> so, let's... <clears throat> incarceration let's talk about it um so i kind of want to break down a little bit of your experience maybe nutrition treatment living conditions cellmates isolation like really just like your overall experience of those brackets your experience um you don't have to go too detailed but if you want to like hit on those a little bit yeah sure absolutely um the first time that i was incarcerated i was oh i was so young i think i was only about 19 or 20 years old I was first arrested arrested in North New Jersey and I got locked up in probably the worst precinct that there ever was that being said I just wanted to give that backstory to let people know that your first time getting locked up I mean that that is an experience in itself Mm -hmm. and for it to be in such a hardened area where I'm hours away from home uh, really first diving into my addiction, like horrible. So I learned how to jail really, really quick. I was in a situation in that county where the females there either wanted to fight me or be intimate with me. There wasn't really like an in between. In all honesty, Kim, like I wish, I wish there was, but there really wasn't. There's also no uh, normally they'll. Uh, segregate due to your charges right it's all just general population there so at that age again 1920 I was housed with a woman that murdered her two stepchildren so being scared is an understatement and you would think that a situation like that would scare you straight you never want to go back uh that was like the beginning of my runs um I have been housed in a multitude of counties um I have been housed in Hunterdon County, Warren County, Somerset County. Luckily for me, I've uh, never really had a state bid. Um, Can you just explain a state bid just for people that yeah, are listening? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're sentenced, when you go in front of a judge, anything that's three 
64, which is under a year. So if you, you know, were sentenced to 30 days, 90 days, six months, which is a 180, um, everything goes in a county system. Mm -hmm. If you're sentenced to a multitude of years, anything over, you know, two years, three years, uh, that's when you're housed in state prison. And those are two completely different worlds, just as, uh, you know, there's also federal uh, prison as well. And, you know, it, it's hard. It, it's, jail's not fun. It's not. Um, you know, again, me being all about perspective, like I made the best out of a crappy situation and I'm actually, now that I'm talking about it, it's kind of weird. I'm just gonna come out and say it. I got so used to that environment I almost was comfortable. Yeah. I, I, I literally, I mean, I, I was comfortable. I knew how to, how to deal with things, what to say, how to manipulate the system. So oddly enough, like I didn't mind jail, but I, I mean, didn't mind it because I didn't really know anything better at that time. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it became like your norm, like your new norm. Honestly, you... And you had a place to sleep, you know, like <laughs> it was steady, it was structured. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So... You do messed up stuff, you kind of have to, you know... Yeah. You have to pay for it. And that was kind of my perspective. I didn't really have much care or priority on my life at the time. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing really fun about it. Like, nutrition, what nutrition? You're mm-hmm. fed food that um, I'm pretty sure it's a mainly a soy diet. I think that each tray, and please don't quote me because I remember what the last price was, but I believe in New Jersey a tray of jailed food cost uh, the state, I think, uh, maybe like 12 cents, 7 cents, something mm-hmm. like that. It's pretty, it's pretty un- ungodly. Such a horrible, uncomfortable feeling, hearing bars slam. Uh, not being able to use a toilet like within privacy, showering with you know 30, 40 other women, uh, the you know so much disease and stuff that's spread because of that. It's not fun. It's not fun having someone tell you what to do, how to do it, walking in a line a certain way. Like it's just, and I think the worst the worst part is you do get comfortable. And you almost accept it. I think there was a point in time where I almost accepted it. I wanted to go to state prison. I actually didn't want to take my uh, drug court term this time around. I just, I was done. I was over it. I feel like I was flawed by the system, but there's nothing fun about county. There's mold in the sh- in the showers. I also think that there's a lack of funding. Mm-hmm. I, I question like, why why are people being being housed in those conditions? I'm not saying all county jails are like that. What I am saying is I could almost guarantee you the majority of county jails are outdated. Um, they definitely, if they were inspected, probably wouldn't pass. And it just, it makes me, me being me, it makes me want to dive, you know, and kind of yeah. go deeper and be like, well, why is that? Where's the money getting spent? We can't make sure there's not mold in a shower. I might have done something wrong, but do I deserve to breathe in mold? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes you feel less than. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it really affected my addiction even more. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a certain process of it that becomes dehumanizing, right? Yes. So, um, yes. I'm sure internally you start to feel less than human. I know that Alyssa even has talked about her story in the foster care system and just the concept of moving garbage bags from place to place, it felt very dehumanizing, Mm -hmm. you know, like your items, everything you care about is in a garbage bag, you know, 
And, and that's actually very funny. That's why she started the Duffels of Love, because she wants these kids to have at least like a duffel bag, you know, like, yeah. like get the humanity back. So um, I love, too, that like you're so we've talked about it before. I know you have like a lot of goals that we'll probably do a second podcast episode going into like the things that you would really like to do. Um, but I, it's just incredible. Your experience in general, I think it's something that most people should listen to. I think a lot of people think they won't wind up in jail the amount of times I should have wound up in jail. I don't know why I got very lucky in my encounters that I should have gotten into trouble. Um, I just like would overly cry and somehow that would work. (laughs) And and I would just like start talking too much and I feel like they just wanted me to shut up. So they were just like, can you just like go? Um, But if it was, you know, there was accountability in it, you know, to like come out of it and then be able to build a life on it that's so beautiful and then be able to spread the message comfortably you know what I mean like that's power what long-term effects or habits have you developed in relation to your experience incarcerated so as far as long-term effects that I like I've identified with with myself yeah for yourself and then like it could be habits too like just things that you just haven't broken yet oh boy all right, so the first thing that comes to mind is actually comical, but it's sad. It's not funny. It's not. If you ever watch me eat, yeah. it, I, it's not that I guard my food. I literally, you give me a 64-ounce steak, I can dispose of it in right. less than 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm used to being on, and that's also... Like a timer. That's also for a lot of um, like inpatient facilities as well. Like You're always timed. And... that I've uh, suffered from like a huge anxiety like anxiety is something I've always had an issue with and I don't know why but I've always had a fear of like not having food or going without Mm -hmm. it's not really so much the food but going without because I've been in that position so many times so that being said like I literally I eat so fast and it's sad it's also my work ethic like my work style working in restaurants and and, you know you don't have time to eat but definitely jail has uh, like long-lasting effects on uh, severe codependency it's really hard doing time alone you see all these other people and they're on the phone and they're getting packages they're getting commissary which you know you're able to purchase things that you know chips what to make your day go by I've been in so many predicaments where I've done time just on my own that I would connect with the wrong people or keep someone really close to me who definitely should not have been kept close. I have a tendency of like two extremes, either wanting to be completely alone 24-7 and just isolating from the world and pulling a Houdini or... I want to like have someone hold them close that probably shouldn't be there because I just don't I don't like being alone. I felt mm-hmm. like I felt like I like that was my narrative for such a huge portion of my life that I don't want to do that. And also authority. I have huge huge authority issues. So if you have someone, all these COs, there's like three, four a day that you deal with that constantly are telling you when to eat, when to eat look down at the ground, feet to, I mean, it is, it's very overwhelming. And I've always had this, you know, I would challenge authority. Um, 
so that that's something I think I've gotten a lot better with a lot better on Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah I also think that it's really important that people that are in authoritative roles um that they are regularly probably psycho psychologically screened um as well as like really educating themselves on better ways to diffuse things have compassion um because like you know for instance I'm in an authority role here but I took so many training courses throughout my life and my career endeavors that I have done that you know managing people and dealing with people it's not one size fits all you have to tailor the suit to each person made for that person because I mean if you're not doing your job in that role in a way that's going to benefit the better population uh, and really just try to get to the people that are the hardest to talk to I mean what is the result what's the result the revolving door really so and I just wanted to make a quick comment on that especially from an inside perspective my, my passion really lies in reform, right? Because here we are as society. We look down on an inmate. We look down on someone that's done time. However, have we really given them a fair opportunity for growth, right. for development, for change, or education? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I can answer that. The answer to that is no. Unless if you are serving a state prison term, you are not really eligible for those, you know, classes. Um, they're, they're, thank God in state prisons, they're doing a little bit better now. With, yeah, like with, barber degrees, like things like that. Yeah. With kind of preparing you, but even in, a, a, can, we, can we not do something in county to prevent maybe the revolving door aspect happening to prevent them from going to state right. prison? Can we not stop it sooner rather than later? That would be my question. And it's really hard to do that because in most counties where your capacity is a little under a thousand, and I'm using that as an average, right? Some county jails that are rather large, uh, I mean, we're talking two or three levels, there's one social worker. That is, I mean, that's it. There's not yeah. two, there's not three. Well, it took there's, me forever to get to you, yeah. <laughs> there is there's one. One social worker. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that even if there is someone in, in a, you know, a county that is doing time and really struggling, and if they're reaching out and asking for help, is that help even going to be accessible? And the answer right. is unfortunately no. I mean, social work is like, at one point everybody was getting their degree in social work, and it's so widespread. It's foster care system, social work. Uh, juvenile systems, social work, you know, and their caseloads are huge. Even like you have to think disability, people that are on disability, they're dealing with social workers as well. And I know their caseload is so huge. And I'm like wondering where all these people with the social work degrees went, because I feel like everyone's overloaded with work. Granted, the system's broken, right? So, you know, it just makes you wonder a little bit. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about where you are now the things or people that are helping you the most? Where I'm at now is probably the best place I've ever been in mentally um, and emotionally. I definitely know that some days I struggle, but I feel like I'm just so more aware of -hmm. myself as a woman and as an individual. And that's the key, at least for me. All these other times that I've been through the programs, I would rush home. I would, I would leave. I would, I would, I wouldn't really get what I needed to get because I had a daughter to come home to, you know. 
um, this time is different because I'm finally in a place where I'm not rushing back home. I know that if I'm not fit for myself, I am sure as hell not fit for that beautiful little girl. I'm learning how to have patience but honestly, like in the short time that I've been at CFC, which I think I'm going on a little bit over three months, I'm not, I think I'm at like four, give or take. I've learned more in these four months that I've learned in pretty much almost every program that I've been in. And I just, I find it so beautiful. It's so endearing. Um, just the self-awareness that I've discovered about myself. And um, just, you know, shout out, shout out Mare Bear. Shout Mare, out Mare Bear, Bruce Mare. Monkey. They're amazing. They're, yeah. They're so amazing. I just wanted to say that through thick and thin, I've never had that that um, unconditional love and support. And I'm used to, it's not just, you know, my parents because they don't know any better, but I'm used to people shutting doors on me. And because of that, I will majorly isolate because I'm used to doing everything alone. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'll just quote Mare. Like she said, even... In the worst of my worst, she wanted to hunt me down, find me, and duct tape me to her kitchen chair. And if oh she could have found me, she would have. So my mom was so happy when COVID happened. She's like, my dream when you were on this run was to grab you and Velcro you to the wall. And she goes, and like COVID happened, and it's like it's all happening. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what a dream. Like I couldn't, they would just for fun, they would take, they would get in the car. And they would just drive through towns and watch the people. So, like, I think the furthest they would ever go is, like, Lakewood. And then they would turn back around and come back to Manalpin. And then um, they just, that's what they would do for fun. And they wouldn't let me not come in the car with them. And if they went for a walk outside, I had to walk outside. And I'm, like, detoxing. Okay? So, I'm, like, I don't want to get trapped in a car right now. I'm going to, like, shit myself. So, you know, it's just their dreams of duct taping you to the wall. It's, like, sounds so toxic. But I know it feels that way. You just want to, like hold them steady and still absolutely you know I do think it matters though like I think that's beautiful that your parents like they they care about you so much and I just want to say that like even when you're going through the worst of your worst you don't want to be bothered by anyone you pull your little Houdini you think you disappear it is so paramount even if it's one person I don't care if it's your neighbor I don't care if it's your butcher like to know that someone cares and is reaching out yeah. Uh, to me, like, it, I don't know why, but this you, time around it made a difference. It did. You know what I, I would love to draw attention to, too, because it's not talked about enough. We haven't really talked about it on here. The effect that substance abuse has on our loved ones. You know, me and Jessica recently, we sat in the family support group. It's called The Healing Tree. It's on Monday nights at 7. My mom actually runs that group. Great meeting. Um, it, I like it better than our meetings. No, it's amazing. You know? So we're sitting in on this meeting and I'm like, could cry at the suffering of the parents in the room. And it's so sad because you think you're only hurting yourself. The trauma Mm -hmm. that we put the people that love us through is horrifying. I think that it's more important as well when you get further into your recovery and you're ready and in that place to hear and recognize the way that your actions affect other people to sit in an Al-Anon meeting, sit in a family support group, um, even if it's not your mom and you can't hear your mom complain about it anymore and, and listen to these parents complain. And I just, I promise you, there's such a level of healing that exists there and a, a level of compassion for like your parents at this point 
I can't make them suffer for not one more second. I mean, yeah. I could not agree more. And it really has taught me so much about my own living situation. Again, you know, I've been through a lot with my family, but again, like they, they did the best they could with what they had. And I've also come to the conclusion that in a sense, if you really think about it, and this is just my perspective, I was the lucky one. Yeah. I was the one that got to the dream on a daily basis and not feel that pain and suffering. Yeah. I wasn't the parent that was up every night waiting for the phone call to see if my loved one passed. I wasn't the one right. that had to go to ShopRite and be around all these people where I, I might have just came in off of my bonkers out of my mind and made a yeah. scene. I don't think we, just like you said, it's a very selfish disease at the time. You make all these reasons and excuses as to why you're not affecting others, but there is such a spider web effect that goes so deep that we don't, I don't, I didn't want to identify it at the time. Yeah. And it, it yeah, I just wanted to say that I, I felt as though I was the lucky one and my parents and, and family you know and loved ones get the short end of the stick. The sadder part was when I realized even after we get clean, right? So... I wound up in treatment. I have therapists worried about me. I have a program worried about me. I have all these people worried about me. And my mom felt like no one cared about her because there's not a lot of support groups. The yes. only one that we had was the CFC one one day a week. And she wasn't there to really like get the message the same way at that time. And on top of it, a lot of the people in the room had way more suffering than her. So they couldn't really even empathize with her suffering. Um, so... I remember her feeling super isolated in it, in it and then it was funny because she took this family support group and initially she's like leave me alone I don't want to do anything leave me you know and she talked to Alyssa and I, I always say anyone that talks to Alyssa you immediately say yes even if you don't think you like even if you're like no I, you know I'm not interested second you talk to her she just like love her you know what I mean so my mom's like yeah like I want up taking it I'm like well that was a weird change from this morning you know <laughs> so then um so she's running this family group, and she's like, Kim, did you know I might be, like, codependent? I'm like, yeah, girl. <laughs> so, like, you know, she just, and she'll be like, I didn't realize that I have trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, queen. We, <laughs> we're trauma queens. That's what we do over here. So, you know, um, her being able to step into this role, she's, like, finding a new sense of peace and healing and understanding and she, I see her at all times. She's either like making a PowerPoint for this meeting or she's going on random groups online, like crazy her. different groups. And I'm listening in the back. Sometimes they're like not normal groups. I'm telling you, they're, they, they get like funky. And I'm like, what the heck group is that? She's, you know, and she's just listening and taking notes from like these people. And, um, and she formulates these groups on it. And she's so excited to talk about it. And when the parents are calling her, texting her, she's checking in. She's like, oh, so-and-so just had their grandbaby. I have to send them a text message. Like, you know, so just to see her on her end thriving. So beautiful. It's so cute. Like, I almost feel like she's like, <laughs> she's just walking through the walks. And, you know, I just love it. Um... Okay, just the next question I have for you. Uh, <laughs> what is your daily recovery and healing journey? Like, what does it look like to you? What are, like, the main staples for you? So, again, um, being someone that thrives off of structure, I do, I do, like, my little routine, you know. For me, 
little, it's the little picture and the little things that make up the bigger picture. Uh, so I make my bed every morning. Yep. I make uh, my bed. You don't not make your bed. You have to make your bed. Every successful bed. person, it's the first accomplishment of the day. You can't miss it. And not to mention, but when you go through, uh, you know, you have a crazy schedule. You're going here, you're driving there, you're doing this, you're doing that. Then you have to put work into it. Coming home to a beautiful, beautifully made bed. Made bed fluffed pillows like are you kidding me it feels good i'm I, adulting today guys i make my bed for me my dog i make it for her I, I, again it sounds so small but to someone like me it's it's actually huge it, it affects my day so i make my bed um i always start the morning right with a nice cup of joe mm-hmm. nice strong dark roast because i need to um and then i really like centering myself Sometimes I'll start off with a guided morning meditation. Me and Kim, oh my God, Kim, you have to tell them. Me and Kim did this amazing exercise one day, actually, that I would like to start doing like more things like that, where we sat in the backyard yes. and we went off of one another. And how oh, okay, so, so I, I went through this phase with like affirmations. I, I would find the little um, sunflower garden that was planted for my friend Kate and I would sit out there and I would do them with her even though she's not here with us anymore um but so I started doing it with her and then Jess was having such a hard day we get over to the uh backyard and she's like ready to go off and tell me all about her bad day and I'm like listen I am down to listen to anyone about their bad day but let's do this first and we'll talk about it after so um what I do is I say an affirmation, and usually when you go to do this with someone, they don't know how to do it on the spot. It kind of feels like you you get, like, dumb. You can't remember all the manifestations, affirmations. So everything that you say has to be present tense, and it has to be positive. Um, So I I say, like, every dollar I spend doubles, you know, Um, and then Jess has to repeat it with me. And then Jess has to now give back her stuff, her version of her affirmation. And sometimes, you know, she might get stuck. So you just help her put it in present tense as she says, whatever the affirmation is. And then we both repeat that affirmation. So like, um, I attract abundance, Jess will say it. And then Jess would say, we'll come up with something new. And, uh, today I will put my best foot forward. Today, I'll put my best foot forward. And then I would say the next one and you just do it till you feel better. And then right at the end um you have the meditation music on you need to just breathe in just breathe in deep breathe out and you just do it at a steady pace and you think about everything that you just tried to manifest or affirm in your life um and then the last part is you want to sit there and you want to reflect on all the problems and everything that you feel you want to try to analyze what's yours to hold what's someone else's what you can control and then what's crazy is half the time the problems that we're worried about are other people's stuff Mm. um and then when you realize that it's none of yours Mm. you breathe lighter and and all of a sudden it was like Jess was able to talk about her situation in such a calm manner I, I was able to give her some suggestions and then she went forward with her day and we had I think we went like paddle boarding the day maybe I don't remember maybe not it might have been cold but we had the best day ever it was just that check-in in the morning or the afternoon or when you're feeling overwhelmed, it's so important to do it because you have to reground yourself. I gotta start doing that again. No, it was amazing. And yeah. I think that a lot of things, um, 
it, it's also like today, like I follow suggestions, right? So I know uh, you. There's a lot of people, a lot of guided meditations, or what are the things you listen to with the people like, yeah, 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 because you, because you <laughs> <laughs> Listen. So the podcast is called. Uh, <laughs> principles of success but it's good okay so i'm gonna be honest i love the episodes that he merges like the pastors all the speakers and they are so intense like they'll be like build that ark (laughs) and i'm like hell yeah i'm building my ark you know it just makes me feel like pumped up so it's good positive stuff dude like in the morning youtube they have four minute videos you just repeat the affirmations with the person on there or you call up a friend, you do with them, or you just step out, you do it by yourself, write it in a journal. Um, and you know what really helps me the best, actually? This is this is my, like, my spiritual healing, my, my present, my gift constantly to myself is actually more towards the end of the night. Lately, my days have been, like, super crazy, super busy, always on the go. Uh, I like to start my day off that the same way every single morning, and then my days can get a little jarbled with work and with um, you know other responsibilities, but I will say this, there is not one night and there has not been one night that I do not come home when I'm when I am upstairs and I'm ready for bed, my earbuds go on. Yes. And I listen to um, I first started off with guided meditation and now I'm uh, getting more into different philosophies. I've identified a lot with stoicism. I'm learning more about that and I just love learning and I love being able to, I can't describe it, but it gives me such comfort and such inner peace to listen to that at night because in a sense that is a positive affirmation. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And yeah. It's such I mean, a beautiful way yeah. of life. That's what I do for myself every night and it kind of recharges me. Like yeah. it preps me for the morning. Yeah. It just gets you motivated for something, a healthy living path. Um, so what perspective did you used to live by that now seems super off-putting for you and how did you switch that perspective? I mean, I can't, it's weird even saying it, but I used to walk around with the biggest chip on my shoulder and I literally used to be like, F the world. Yeah. Honestly, I thought every single person in, in this world, if you, if you breathe air, I thought you were going to hurt me, leave me, or um, pass away. Those were that was my three things: hurt me, leave me, or pass away. Because of that, I was a miserable, miserable person. I was an empty shell of a human being, and I because I felt that way, I projected that way onto others. I was nasty. I was mean. I was heartless. I had zero compassion. I wanted to be left alone. I didn't want to interact with anyone. I don't think like if, if people were to have met the person I was, I don't even know if like they would um, be able to recognize me. I wouldn't harm a fly, like I get sad over a fly getting hurt for crying out loud. But I also want to mention this, in my defense, my survival skills might have suited me then. Yeah, you don't need them anymore. But I don't need them now. Yeah, you're not in survival anymore. So I yeah. just wanted to state that, and I think that that's the, that's the difference, that's the shift, and that's the change, why I'm able to progress in a way and see life in a different manner. So, and the other part that's super important to recognize, because there's going to be other people that really relate to that and, and still be in the perspective you were in, 
um, because I think also in our generation when we were younger, there it was like a very heavy like haters like mm-hmm. da, da, da. like it was just like the the momentum was like you wanted to like show your haters like I don't know it, it was probably the music everything else, um, but some people are still living in that space and. The truth is, like, the fight-or-flight mode is really, really hard to turn off when you're in survival mode for so long and when that's your only coping and that's literally the way you existed. So even when you're in a place of safety, you'll still find reasons to create chaos to still be in your survival mode because that's comfort. You know, we're comfortable in these effed-up situations and the effed-up places, so we'll create chaos, and then we're like, oh, well, it's, I'm, I'm surviving. I'm still doing what I always did. I'm fighting back. I Like, F them. F this. And... The truth is, until you're able to figure out, one, how to raise that, like, that passageway between the fight-or-flight mode, um, so that you're able to take little, when you have, when you're in fight-or-flight mode from trauma responses, the neural passageways, they get very thin, so the ups and downs, it's very funny, so, like, Dan was explaining it, like, opioids, they, they take you down, right, so... And then neural passageway, you're down. Yep. When you're detoxing from an opioid, what happens? You shoot up to yep. up. Yep. Like that's that's your response to being detoxed. So now when you're doing uppers, um, such as like crack, cocaine, you're in the up mode. When you come off that, you're in depressive mode. There's there's no window, there's no neural passageway. The only thing that heals that really is time therapy, sometimes medication. Like I know some people do um even like ketamine treatments, uh, things like that, they're gonna expand that neural passageway so that you have a little bit more time to um, respond. And until you can fix that, you're gonna stay in that mode, you're gonna create chaos, and you're gonna still thrive in fight or flight. It takes so much work and so much dedication. Like the simple fact of, even like in a relationship, like in an intimate relationship, Kim, like it took so much time for me to learn that maybe just maybe like there are a few good people out there and that not everyone wanted to hurt me I had to wrap my head around that even something that you said just such a a sensitive chord with me because I was that girl who what I've seen uh, and what I was around and what honestly like I subjected myself to some of it but I've seen things that like hardened criminals should never see and it's like forever ingrained in my head I've also been through really 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 awful um abusive relationships where I've been wronged so many times by someone who's supposed to love and protect me right Mm -hmm. so because of that and because it's like after after a while it's like a pattern emerges Mm -hmm. um when you if you were to be in a relationship with someone who maybe isn't negative and is it's healthy you almost question yourself and I have been in that position where I've acted out and been like well why he's not killing he's not yeah things he's not killing me he's not breaking things or like he's not like we're not going to like a You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've actually acted out, and I just wanted to say that I've I've self-sabotaged so many relationships because they were nice. And I was scared. (laughs) Because I don't know. I can't do nice. I know. I can do crazy. I can do mean. I can do abusive. No, I can do that standing on my head. Mm -hmm. It took me such a long time to get to a point where 
I was somewhat comfortable in a healthy relationship. It's funny that you say this because I remember uh, when I was over at Relevance, there was a, he's like a spiritual guru. Okay, let's say that. He, he's very into like this more holistic approach to things like energies, um, masculine, feminine energies. He, he describes it beautifully. He shows the swaying hands and then the street and then what the energies do. So um, he had told me when I was talking to him about my relationships and stuff, he said, I'm going to let you know right now when you're bored in the relationship it's healthy that's good be bored find other ways to stay entertained and i'm like be boring doesn't sound freaking fun to me you know <laughs> and i'm still trying to find a balance because i mean there's like a there's a nice that i could deal with and when it's genuine when it's soul when it's like i have an issue with naive i have an issue with um people that haven't had life experiences that are somewhat effed up yeah like you know because I just feel like there's a lack of understanding for me at my core as well when I'm not with somebody but I need someone that's healed in that space and, and is nice now it's hard you know and that's hard and they're like leprechauns it that's that's gonna be a rarity I'll probably be single in 50 years still doing this podcast so I'll, I'll let you guys know how it goes <laughs> Um, but yeah it, it's funny I, I constantly find myself now I catch flags quicker I will say, like, there's little things like red flag, green, green flag, like, but um, even, like, I'll recognize if I pour myself a glass of water, okay, <laughs> and I lay on my, I, I walk over to the sink, my partner watches me do that, I, I fill the cup the way I want it filled, and I go and I put it on my nightstand, and they grab it from me or, like, over me and chug, like, half that water. You're selfish. That's Rude. a red flag. I'm out. Rude. Immediately, I could see your whole character in that. It is insane. I'm like, oh, he's got this, that, and the third, and he just is selfish. So he drank my water. Mine's the shopping cart. If you are at a, sh uh, a shop, right? Okay. A Wegmans, an Acme. And if I watch you, I will take you there. Oh, Don't the shopping cart roll? Don't get it twisted. I am testing I got it. You know what? I got it. I got to talk about this guy. I <sighs> wish I had his license plate. I would throw it out here. Um, so <laughs> me and my friend Mike were at, uh, I think we were at like an Aldi's, okay? And he had to go back in to get something. There were so many shopping carts on that parking lot. And you know what they did? Right next to the little thing that you put it in, mm -hmm. they all put it up against the curb. No. Like cars lined up next no. to each other. So I decided I was going to do a good deed. It was a Sunday. It was God's day. So I started pushing all the carts together like I work there. And I'm pushing 40 carts to the freaking thing. <laughs> and this guy makes eye contact with me. And he's not that far from me. He makes eye contact with me and proceeds to push the cart up against the curb. Awful. I was like, Really? Really? And he just gets in his car and leaves. Again, for me, it's the little things that make up a, bi a bigger picture. And it, I feel like, uh, especially in today's society, everyone's in such a rush. Where are you in a rush to get to? Calm down, breathe. Okay, so I got two more questions for you. This is, this is probably a long without it. It might be a two-parter, guys. Ooh. We'll see what that looks like. Um, so we talked a bit about your daughter earlier. By the way, guys, gorgeous. Um, I'll let you know. She's a sassy little thing, but she's so cute. She's like her mama. Yes. You have the unique perspective of being a single mom in recovery, but also living apart from her. What advice would you give to moms in your current situation? Um, the next question is, do you have any self-care or mantras you do for yourself on cloudy days? 
Um, and what are the benefits of the separation while you're getting your life together? Okay, these are all like super deep. Okay, um, my first advice, and I think it's the most important, is there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance because your children, especially at such a young age, and by the way, y'all, Stella is five. The reality is that she needs me, right? Mm -hmm. We're getting past those young years where she is more naive or innocent and doesn't, you know, you could pitch to her mommy's, mommy's at the doctor's. Um, now more recently, she's gaining so much awareness mm -hmm. and well, how long is mommy gonna be at the doctor's for? Because now that I'm coming back around and I'm seeing her, I think her challenge is, mommy looks perfectly fine. Mommy actually looks better than she's ever done. So why is mommy still at the, at the doctor's? Why isn't mommy back with me? I think that personally, and I just, I, I hope that I help someone in saying this, I struggle, I'm, I'm definitely like an extremist. I can't do anything half-assed Anything I do, I have to go like tenfold and commit a hundred percent. So it's like I just recently got a job. Okay, well, working thirty-two hours is normal, but why work thirty-two when you can? I clocked in. I'm clocking in this week at fifty-two. Like I'm just. I I have to stop because there's nothing wrong with wanting things in life. And believe you me, like I am a dreamer, and no one will take that away from me. Mm -hmm. No one. I have goals, I will achieve them. But that being said, when, when you have a child, you have to have a balance. There needs to be structure. Sometimes you have to make certain decisions that may not be the decision you wanted. I have to take into account that Stella is no one else's responsibility but mine. And I have left her now for such a long time that I don't want there to be more of a lag in our relationship. She's starting to get really upset. I know that I've been communicating that with you recently. Mm -hmm. Like she cries when I leave and it's just uh, like her sobs for me. I can't put it into words what that does on my heart, but it affects me to my core. And when you put my daughter versus money, like I, my daughter all the way. You know, so again, it's about balance. It's about maintaining, first and foremost, my sobriety and making sure I'm okay as an individual first, as a woman first. Mm -hmm. And then I make sure my daughter, her needs are met. I'm able to see her. It's as structured as I physically can make it. And then that's when other things come into play. And as far as self-care goes, I mean, Kim, I got to be honest with you. Like, I don't. I really don't have a lot of free time on my hands and I think that's why I'm going to revert back to what I said prior. There is not one night that I do not go to sleep without popping on my head buds. Yeah, that's my, your self-care. That is my self-care because honestly, I can't, I don't, I've never been spiritually affected like that and it just does something for me that is so different that like a person has never been able to do even like love has never been able to do like I just feel at, at peace and I can't describe it yeah so that's something that I would do for myself and um did I answer why well, it was a three yeah it was, it was a, a three, three parter. Parter. so did I, did I miss one I just you know what it's awkward to pause between the questions so I wound up just asking them all at once just to throw yeah, you off but I, I think you it. did great okay great um now the other no you didn't answer 
what are the benefits of the separation while you're getting your life together? Like, and then the next parts of this question would be, do you think you would have been able to be where you're at if you would have went right back home? Well, first of all, let's just answer the second question. Absolutely not. And why? Because I, because it's a fact. That's not, I'm not, that's not a hypothesis. That is not, oh no, I, I think this would end bad for me. I know in my heart, my mind, my body, and my soul, if I would have got out of my last incarceration, came to this program, skated, did a month to make drug court um, happy, and rushed back to my daughter, I would be in turmoil, I would not be healed internally, I would know who I am as Stella's mom. That would be my identification. I wouldn't know who I am, I wouldn't know what goals I have, what dreams I have personally for myself, and how am I supposed to raise this amazing, beautiful, strong warrior daughter if I can't even carry myself in that manner? I feel like, especially children, we don't realize they're sponges. You lead by example. You don't tell a child. Of course, you can try to tell a child what to do, how to act, but that child embodies you. Mm -hmm. And she learns so much more from how I carry myself, how I move, my voice, my tone, how I don't get frustrated anymore, you know what I mean? Like I'm able to have like my patience, just my overall, my overall like aura, my vibe has just shifted in such a way. So no, like I, if I rushed home, I would be either incarcerated right now, I would have relapsed and I would be um, probably on my, actually I would be on my way to state prison. Right. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> um so with that Jess I really just want to say you're a light it is always a blessing to be in your presence and I want to just give you my appreciation for being here today for the late night recording that we're doing between Mr. Early One we just missed our little window guys we were late so we felt don't rush just do it later um so yeah I just am privileged to call you a friend um I want to thank you for your vulnerability and willingness to share your experiences with our listeners and me um and we are going to continue to watch you on your journey with such pride such pride um and do you have any closing words yeah I definitely just wanted to say again like thank you so much for this experience because again like I definitely want to advocate more and I think that it's just amazing even to to like in this way like on a podcast it's great because it's like talking amongst a friend and you still get to be so intimate and it doesn't feel like I'm like violated or saying too much and I'm happy that you know in this space I I feel it's just a good space to be in and I just wanted to say too for all the people listening no matter what you've been through like your trials your tribulations um no matter you know who said you know negative things about you or even if you self-doubt like don't ever let anyone dull your sparkle, you know? Like Kim stated prior, I think addicts are some of the most brilliant, brilliant, uh, compassionate, hard, hardworking people. And we have so much to offer the world. It's a matter of uh, when are we gonna apply it? Mm-hmm. And um, that's all. Thank you for having me, Kim. Thank you. Now I wanna ask you something really funny just for our listeners, because every time I interview people, do you have any idea what you just said? Any of it? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think I have maybe a few things, but honestly, you know what's funny, guys, is I, like, Kim told me kind of like, okay, this is kind of what we're going to go over, and me being, like, super studious and a nerd, I was like, I'm typing out every single answer, and I'm going to be prepared and know exactly what to say. It felt so good doing this in such a natural way yeah. because it's more authentic. Everything I said tonight, guys, like I, I spoke from the heart. Is there stuff I'm leaving out? I'm sure there is. Was I nervous? Absolutely. But I love how um, authentic and how organic this was, and I definitely will never prep to answer any questions ever again. No. You know what the truth is? It's good to know the questions ahead of time. Um, for me too, like I'll, I'll put the questions. I learned that when I overtype responses or like silly quirky things that I wanted to put in there because they went with the episode, that um, it sounds so scripted. It's so unrelatable in these regular conversations because sometimes what happens is I go back and I edit. I just take out the ums and the buts and, right. and the awkward pauses and when I have to repeat a question because I said something or I stuttered. And, um, I wind up leaving in the candid moments and I taking out the scripted sometimes. I'm like, why do I sound like that? You know? Um, so I, I think it's really important that when we're spreading our messages, we're so authentic and that it is comfortable and like there's a little preparation so you could say the things that you want to say, but it's like a free space. Half the time I never want to talk with these things off once they're on. And <laughs> no, so it's so nice cool. to hear like because with ADHD sometimes I'm like ah! and I'm like <laughs> people are like why is your voice like that I'm like like what like <laughs> my headphones on I'm like oh yeah I got a few voices going on so um I want to thank you all for listening and for tuning in today um again just remember that the information for all our upcoming food drives our clothing drive for the Ocean Harbor House um as well as any upcoming fundraisers, events, things like that. We have Giving Tuesday coming up. Um, also, if you guys are shopping, on Amazon.